Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh, how do we know it's not a fake? It looks like a fake. You are the most egotistical, self-deluded person I have ever met. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. It's our first episode of 2024. Thanks for being here. We've had a little bit of a break. I feel a little recharged and that's good. You wouldn't think you'd need to recharge, but you do. So I kind of like this little relaxed schedule I'm on. I'm not sure how long I'm going to stay relaxed in the scheduling, but I like the little break we had, so that's nice. But we've got a brand new episode for you this week. I'm calling this my Brushes with Greatness episode. The title is actually inspired by something Letterman did a few years ago. He would go to the audience and ask people about their Brushes with Greatness, which was when somebody met a famous person. Letterman being the way he is, he always put a funny spin on it, or an ironic or a goofy spin on it. But the idea of Brushes with Greatness has always stayed with me, because throughout our lives, a lot of times we'll run into somebody who's famous for something. And some people react to that in a cool and calm and collected way. Other people lose their minds. And you've seen these people. You've seen the videos of the people just going gaga over somebody. That's got to be embarrassing, right? If not to the person doing the reacting, at least to the famous person who has to watch this and go, oh my god. I was going to talk today about my brushes with greatness. Not that I've had any major brushes. I've met some people over the years. I think the more you go places, I think depending on where you go, and I think depending on how well you keep your eyes open, that could affect how many famous people you meet or run into or at least see. I always like to think that I'm the cool, calm one when I meet people or see people. I don't think that I've embarrassed myself at any point. But before I get to my list, I wanted to share that I was actually a teeny tiny minor celebrity at one point in my life. So as a result of that, I'm mindful of how I react to people who are famous when I see them. Because the people who would react to me when I was minorly famous, the ones who were crazy just kind of scared me a little. I've talked about this a little back in the day when I was a radio DJ. We did remote broadcasts and we did appearances at various places. We also had the No Star basketball team. We also did an appearance as a staff at the county fair in the county where I worked. Yes, the WRNJ air staff appeared at the dunking booth at the Hunterdon County Fair. No, wait, it was the Warren County Fair. It was Warren County. Got them mixed up. It was the Warren County Fair. They had a dunking booth, and they asked the WRNJ air staff to appear there. So we appeared there. So between the remote broadcasts, I did one at a bank once, and the basketball games that we appeared at, we did a couple of those, and the dunking booth, I was out there in the public, and people would recognize me, at least by my voice, once I started talking. Because they would always introduce you. All right, here's our morning man. It's Gamer Dude. And of course, people would go, Oh, he doesn't look anything like I expected. Because that's always the case when you meet somebody whose voice you've heard, but you've never seen their face. The face never matches up. You never expect the guy or the girl to look the way they look after you've heard them do nothing but voice work or radio DJing. And I'm sure that was the case with me. Because don't forget, when I was in radio, I was in my early 20s. The town that I was working in, the county that I was working in, kind of skewed older. So I'm expecting that they expected somebody older. My voice hasn't changed too, too much over the years, so I kind of sounded the way I do now. And so when they met me and they saw this young guy, longer hair, mustache, goofy, and willing to sit in a dunking booth at a county fair, it's probably not what they expected. 
But what you get is people coming up to you and going, oh, I listen to you every day. I love the sound of your voice. I think you're so funny. Can I have your autograph? Or you get people calling up the radio station. I had this happen a couple of times when I was doing the overnights at that other station that I worked at. People would call up and want to talk and just chit chat all night long while you're trying to work. Oh, I love the sound of your voice. I sure would like to meet you someday. That's the kind of stuff that you run into when you're in that kind of a position. And, you know, it's one thing if you're at the county fair and somebody comes up to you and says, Oh, yeah, I think that bit you do on the radio is really funny. It's a very different thing if it gets a little more personal. Like some lonely housewife approaches you at the bank remote and makes bedroom eyes at you. Oh, I love to wake up with you. Because I was the morning guy. People would wake up to me. I gave certain people a perfect opening line when they met me. Oh, I love to wake up with you. Yeah, no, stop it. But yeah, you run into that stuff. So because I'm familiar with that kind of attitude, because I'm familiar with people reacting to fame that way, I try not to be that guy when I happen to come across somebody famous. So I put together a list of my brushes with greatness for today's episode. And as I was going over it, a couple of things stood out. I've really never run into a woman who's famous in all of my travels. I haven't run into a sports figure, a movie star, a TV star who's a woman. Except for one. One exception to that. And that was at Comic-Con back in San Diego a few years ago. And Comic-Con is almost like you shouldn't count that because you see famous people all the time at Comic-Cons. You can't go to a Comic-Con and not see a famous person, really. So when I'm talking about seeing a famous person, this brushes with greatness list that I have is people that I've actually been really, really close to and either talked to or at least could have talked to. And I say could have talked to because I haven't always talked to the people that I've been really close to. Because, as I said a few minutes ago, I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the guy going, oh, I'm a big fan. I didn't want to scare somebody away. I didn't want to freak somebody out that I was seeing them and excited about it. So I tried to play it cool. Now, some of the famous people on this list, some of my brushes with greatness, they're not going to mean anything to you. Because they're either before your time or you're not a fan of sports. I've met many sports figures over the years. Or they're old school. They were big when I was young, but these days, hardly anybody knows them anymore. But I assure you, when I met them, they were big. And meeting them was pretty cool. Now, the first and probably, I think it's the only autograph that I ever got, was from a baseball player. I don't know if you remember the name Joe Garagiola. Joe was a baseball player turned broadcaster. He would do the NBC Game of the Week for many years. He did color commentary, and he also did play-by-play. And you could see Joe all of the time if you were at a ballpark. Now, when I was a kid, my dad would get tickets to Yankee games on occasion. As I've said, my dad was not a baseball fan, but he got tickets because he knew I was a baseball fan. It wasn't until years later that I realized how big a sacrifice this was on my dad's part. He hated baseball games. They were so long. He just didn't care. But he did care about me, and so he got tickets. So we were at Yankee Stadium one year. I don't even remember what year it was. I have the program somewhere stashed away. But it's been so many years that I've even seen it. I saw it maybe 10, 15 years ago or something like that. When I was packing stuff up, putting it away, I just tucked it away because what the hell am I going to do with it? But I saved it. But anyway, we were at this ballgame. Our seats were on the mezzanine level, which was at the old Yankee Stadium, just above the press box. And in those days, the press box was open. At least part of it was. Nowadays, they have these big walls and glass windows, and the press is really clearly separated. But there was an area at Yankee Stadium where the press would sit, and it was open. It was a level between the bottom field level and the mezzanine, and you could lean over the rail and look into the press box if you were so inclined. 
And me, being a kid, I was so inclined. And I happened to look over the railing, and I said to my dad, Hey, hey, that's Joe Garagiola. And my dad looked over and said, Yeah, I think it is. Why don't you get his autograph? And I was a nervous kid. I was an introvert even back then. I didn't want to reach out to this stranger and say, uh, Mr. Garagiola, could I have your autograph, please? It just wasn't natural for me. But my dad prodded me, and I finally did. I leaned over, and I said, uh, Mr. Garagiola, could I have your autograph, please? Now, I was a stupid kid. I didn't have an autograph book. I had a program that we'd bought for the game, but I had the program open to where you were writing the players' names down. So I handed the program down to Garagiola, and he didn't take the time to find a blank spot in the program. He just signed where I handed it to him. So he signed in the middle of a page, which is, you know, kind of stupid. I mean, I don't mean to speak ill of Joe Garagiola. I always liked him. But he could have turned the page and signed on a blank spot. But instead, he signed in the middle of the page. What good does that do me? I can barely see it. Yes, I'm berating Joe Garagiola for the way he signed my program. I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm a little kid. I didn't know any better. But he signed it. Here you go, kid. Handed it back up to me. And I had it. Still have it to this day. Does it mean anything to anybody? No. But it means something to me. I remember the whole scenario. I remember the day. I remember getting it. I remember my dad prodding me to get it. And I still have it. So that's probably my first brush with greatness. I've mentioned in the past that I drove limos. Obviously, this is years after I was a little kid. This is, of course, when I had a driver's license. Now, driving limos, you're going to go to the airport a lot. And I did. And you'd be surprised hanging out at an airport how many famous people you see. Now, this is before 9-11, so the security was not nearly as strict as it is now. This is back in the 80s. You could still walk up to gates. You could carry baggage to the gate for somebody. You didn't need a boarding pass to get to the gate. You didn't have to clear the TSA lines. The TSA didn't exist. Flying on a plane was very close to riding a bus or getting on a train. You just walk to the station, climb aboard. I've told you, getting on People Express, you drive up to the terminal, check in at the gate, and walk right on the plane. You didn't need to be there two hours before flight time. You could get there ten minutes before flight time and make your plane. But I digress. My point is, you would hang out at the airport and you could see people wandering around, walking to their gate, getting off their plane. And this is how I ran into a bunch of famous people. I met Tony Bennett at the airport. I may have mentioned this story before. As a limo driver, what you would do is you would stay at the bottom of the escalator in the limo driver waiting area. And all of the limo companies had a sign with their client's name on it. We were no exception. So you're standing there at the bottom of the escalator and you'd have the sign Smith. And Mr. Smith would be looking for the limo driver. And they'd come up to you and say, hi, I'm Mr. Smith. And you'd pop him in the car and drive him home or wherever they were going. And as a limo driver, you really wanted to be front and center at the bottom of the escalator. But, you know, if there's 15 or 20 people coming off the plane with limos, all the limo drivers would be jockeying for position. And again, don't forget, this is before cell phones. This is before texting. We did have beepers, but there wasn't any real way for a guy getting off of a plane to communicate with you, the limo driver, waiting for them as they made the trek from the gate to the terminal. So that's why you stood at the bottom of the escalator with your little sign waiting for your fare. So as I'm waiting there at the bottom of the escalator, front and center, who's first off the plane? Tony Bennett. Now, I know what Tony Bennett looked like. He's been on albums for decades. Tony Bennett is one of those unmistakable faces. And I'm standing there at the bottom of the escalator, and I watch Tony Bennett climb on. He's sliding down, looks me dead in the eye, gets to the bottom of the escalator, walks up to me, and he says to me, Hey, kid, where's the restroom? Knowing the airport as well as I did because I'd spent so many hours there, I pointed him to the restroom. Right that way, Mr. Bennett. Thanks, kid. That was my meeting with Tony Bennett. I got to tell Tony Bennett where the restroom was. 
memorable, earth-moving, the story of legends. I also met Henny Youngman at the airport. This was at LaGuardia Airport in New York. Now, Henny Youngman may not be familiar to you, but when I was a kid, Henny Youngman was one of the biggest comedians around. Before Rodney Dangerfield, Henny Youngman was the guy. He'd be making appearances on TV shows all of the time. Johnny Carson, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, whatever talk shows, Henny Youngman was out there. King of the one-liners. Take my wife, please. That's the guy. And Henny Youngman was a big fella. You could tell just from watching him on TV. He was 6'3", 6'4", maybe. And his trademark was a violin. He would always come out and play six or seven bars very poorly on his violin between jokes. Now, I didn't get to talk to Henny Youngman, but I did get to see him. He was coming off a plane at LaGuardia, coming down the escalator, surrounded by three or four people. Again, one of those faces that's unmistakable, but combine that with the big fella that he was and carrying a violin case. I looked at him, did a double take, looked at him again, actually followed him around. I was thinking about going up and asking him for an autograph because I was such a big fan of Henny Youngman and the one-liners. I ultimately decided not to. The introvert in me got the better of me, but I saw Henny Youngman at the airport. Newark Airport was the scene of another encounter with sports figures this time. Late one night, the Yankee charter flight was coming into Newark Airport. They didn't fly commercial. They had their own plane, but they always debarked or deplaned or got off the plane. I don't know what you call it. What do you call it when you get off the plane? Deplaning? Maybe. I don't know. The plane would pull up to a gate at the usual gates and they'd get off the plane and walk down the jetway. And so I was waiting there for a different plane to come in. It was one of those stormy summer nights, so all of the flights were delayed. I was still at the airport at, I guess it was like 11.30, and the Yankee flight had just gotten in, and I got to see the entire Yankee team get off the plane. And I recognized all of the faces, but the one that stood out, Dave Winfield. Because Dave Winfield, another big fella. I liked Dave a lot. I thought Dave was a good player, underrated, not quite Reggie Jackson level, but a really good player. But the thing I noticed about Dave was he had an entourage with him getting off the plane. Dave didn't carry a single bag of his own. Dave had three or four people around him as he was walking down the jetway. He didn't have a carry-on. He didn't have a backpack. He had three or four people carrying all of that stuff for him. Dave was making a lot of money back then. By today's standards, it was a pittance. But back in the day, Winfield had one of the biggest contracts around. And the thing that I noticed, he spent his money on people to carry his stuff. And I said, you know... If that's what makes you happy, what the hell? Why not? But yeah, I saw the entire Yankee team getting off the plane, walking through the airport, going to baggage claim. I guess they filter the bags through baggage claim. I didn't approach Dave Winfield for an autograph or any of the other Yankees. I knew them all. I was a huge Yankee fan back then. I recognized all of the faces. But they were obviously hustling to get from the plane to the baggage claim. And I was actually waiting for another plane. And I figured, oh, if I follow the Yankees, I'm going to miss my client. And that won't go over well. But I did get to see them. So that was cool. The airport was also the scene where I met another Yankee great, Phil Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto was a shortstop for the Yankees back in the 50s, became a broadcaster for the team in the 60s and the 70s, I think all the way up through the 80s at least. And Phil had another one of those faces, unmistakable. He had an unmistakable face, he had an unmistakable physique, and he had an unmistakable voice. And I always loved listening to Phil call games. Phil was a great broadcaster. Never got to see him play way before my time, but I loved listening to him call the game. So he was waiting at the airport. Again, like I said, you could wait right at the gates. Phil was waiting for a plane to come in from Florida, and it turns out that I was waiting for the same plane, and the plane was delayed for an hour. So we're both standing by the gate. I recognized him. I think I was the only one to recognize him. Because the airport was full, but nobody else approached him. And I knew we'd be standing around for a while, so I went up to him. And I said, excuse me, Mr. Rizzuto, 
I'm a huge fan. Big Yankee fan. I love listening to you broadcast the games. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate what you do. Now, I wish I could do a Phil Rizzuto impression, but I can't. He had a very distinctive, he had a high-pitched voice, but kind of deep, if that makes sense. He did a holy cow. Holy cow! Just like Harry Carey did for the Chicago Cubs. But Phil's was a little higher pitched. Holy cow! But Phil and I proceeded to talk baseball for the next 30 minutes. We talked about the Yankees. I asked him what it was like when he was playing. I asked him how many flights that he took versus how many train rides he took. Because back in the day, teams would travel by train. We talked about the state of the Yankees. We talked about the future of the Yankees. We talked about the players. We talked about everything. Everything baseball. And it was just really cool to talk to somebody with so much experience. And he was just such a personable guy. As I said, we talked for about 30 minutes and then we kind of went our separate ways. All right, I'm going to get a drink. All right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Blah, 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 blah. That was it. I'm sure he never remembered the conversation at all, ever in his life. But because it was Phil Rizzuto, boy, it stuck with me, man. It stuck with me all of these years later. And the way he talked to me and how friendly he was and how gracious he was, that always stayed with me. Because he didn't have to spend any time talking to me at all. But we were both sitting there, nothing else to do, waiting for the same plane. And he was gracious enough and kind enough to talk to me and just be a guy, you know? So that's one of the encounters that I'll always remember. I've had a few other encounters over the years, too. I saw, I can't say I met, I saw Vincent D'Onofrio in New York once. We were both shopping in the same shop. But that was one of those moments where I didn't want to go up to a guy because he's obviously doing his thing. He was with his kid. I didn't want to bust up what was going on for him or for me. But Vincent D'Onofrio, another one of those big guys who you can't mistake. This is back when Law & Order Criminal Intent was big, so I recognized him right away. But the thing that stood out to me is he was shopping in a shop with his kid. And he was just, you know, a father and son. Out. I mean, I'm assuming it's a father and son. Maybe it was a nephew. I don't even know if he was married. I don't even know if he had kids. But he was there with a kid, shopping with a kid. So I didn't want to interfere. And that's why I didn't approach him. But I always liked Vincent D'Onofrio. Really good actor. Just didn't feel like I should approach him. As I mentioned earlier, Comic-Cons are a great place to see famous people. So just seeing a famous people is easy. Having what you would consider an encounter with them, not so much. Because at the Comic-Cons, a lot of the famous people are there to make money, which I get. They're charging appearance fees. They're charging fees for their autograph. So they're not going to sit there and mingle with you at the concession stand when they have to go be at the autograph booth in 10 minutes. And if you walk along autograph booth row, I guess that's what you can call it, you can see all the celebrities lined up there. I mean, I saw the cast of Gotham at one of them. One of the only women that I have on my list of brushes with greatness is Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura in the original Star Trek series. I didn't talk to her because she was at the Comic-Con and she was at a booth, and I hadn't paid my 50 bucks or whatever the charge was to go actually talk to her and get an autograph. But I got to see her, and it was kind of sad because she was there by herself. She had somebody sitting with her, but she didn't have a line. There weren't any people around her. And I was debating, oh, I should just go up and talk to her. But I didn't pay the 50 bucks. But she looked magnificent. I always loved Uhura. I always loved Nichelle. I thought she was a great character. I thought she was a great actress. She was always a lot of fun. But I ultimately decided not to approach her because, you know, she's there probably waiting for the line. I don't know. I just didn't feel right about it. Another one that I didn't feel right about approaching, Nathan Fillion. I love Nathan Fillion. I loved him in Firefly. I loved him in Castle. He just seems like a genuinely good guy. We were at the Comic-Con. Mrs. Gamer Dude actually saw Nathan Fillion walking on the floor at the Comic-Con. And she said, come on, come on, come on. 
it's Nathan Fillion. And she chased him down, and I'm following, and I have my camera all ready. And sure enough, yeah, it was Nathan Fillion walking on the floor of the con. Of course, he had an entourage, and they were around him and making sure that he could get through the crowd. And he stopped for something. I think he saw a cosplayer, and he was admiring the cosplayer. And I was maybe 10 feet from him, and I got a couple of good pictures of him. And Mrs. Gamerd was saying, go talk to him, go talk to him, go get an autograph. And I was really this close to going up to him. But I could see that he was hustling through the crowd. I could see he had a group of people with him. And again, the introvert in me kind of kicks in in those situations. And I go back to my days when I was semi-famous. And did I want to be bothered all the time? And I just put myself in Nathan Fillion's shoes and I figured he wouldn't want to be bothered. He wouldn't want to put up with someone like me. Hi, Mr. Fillion. I'm a big fan. He doesn't care. So I didn't approach him. But it was cool to see him and it was cool to get a couple of pictures of him. Like up close and personal. The last brush with greatness I'm going to mention today is one that I actually did approach. We were at the Philadelphia Comic Con. We had stayed overnight. We were at a hotel. And we were leaving the hotel the second day of the con. And as we're leaving the hotel, Mrs. Gamerdude and Gamerdude Daughter and I were walking up the street in front of one of the other hotels around the convention center. And as we're walking in front of the hotel, lo and behold, Alan Tudyk comes out of the hotel right in front of us. Now, Alan Tudyk from Firefly, from Con Man, the voice of the droid in Rogue One, the voice of so many Disney characters. I mean, he's been in everything. Very good voice actor, very good actor, very funny guy. We love everything he does. So to see him come out of the hotel right in front of us, it was like serendipity. I mean, he was literally right in front of us. It would have been awkward if I didn't approach him. That's how close he was. So I just naturally fell into a, Mr. Tudyk, it is so nice to meet you. And we shook hands. He had his coffee in one. I had coffee in one. We shook hands. I said, My family and I were really big fans, and we just wanted to thank you for all that you do. You're really great. And he was very gracious. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I didn't say anything else. I didn't ask for an autograph. I knew he was on his way to the con. I knew the last thing he probably wanted to do was talk to some goofy fans who were just mooning over everything that he did because I could have recited his credits to him. And I didn't have anything to ask for an autograph with anyway. Hi, could you sign my coffee cup, please? I mean, what the hell am I going to do? So I just said, we appreciate what you do. We're really big fans. And he said, thank you. And we split up and went our separate ways. We were both going to the con, but I let him walk by himself and we walked by ourselves. Yes, I know. I could have gone, can we walk to the con with you? I'm sure that would have gone over really well. I think that's all the brushes with greatness that I have. And I use that humorously. I don't mean it to be sarcastic. It's brushes with greatness. I've run into some famous people in my life. Figured I'd share the stories. I'm trying to think if there's anybody I missed. I don't think so. I remember Whoopi Goldberg being at one of the cons that we were at. I think it was the Philly Con. I don't remember actually seeing her, although it may be that we did, but it was so brief. And I remember trying to get to see William Shatner, but they kept him behind closed doors. I love Shatner. I would have loved to have seen him. I certainly wasn't in a position to spend $80 to meet him. Honestly, I'd rather just meet him randomly on the street. But I feel fortunate that I've had those opportunities. Going to the airport and being in New York City, that led to a lot of those instances. And then going to the Comic-Cons, you're going to run into famous people. So if you're looking for that, that's how you do it. Either drive a limo or go to a Comic-Con. It's just that simple. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of things. Thank you for your patience waiting for this episode. We will have more in 2024. You can count on it. But that's going to do it for now. 
Thank you for your support. Thanks for tuning us back in. And we'll be back again soon. Until then, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.